The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Jessica Dimmick is the woman behind Captive Audience, a real American horror story. It's a docu-series that, you know, this captivated the country when it happened, when seven-year-old Stephen Stainer was kidnapped in California. But the story doesn't end there. And there was actually a TV movie about this case and you see some of that along with the real family members talking about it. I've got Jessica Dimmick on the line right now to discuss Captive Audience, the new docuseries on Hulu. Hi. Hi, Jessica. Welcome and thank you uh, for joining me. Your docuseries is absolutely stunning. I watched all three parts and just just loved it. It's incredible. How did you discover this story, which many of us, you know, were around when it happened, but uh, how did you find out about it yourself to turn it into a documentary? Yeah, I was approached by a producer named Andrew Jacobs, who, you know, remembers the story. He's a kid of the 80s. I'm a kid of the 80s. So he remembers the story and wanted to revisit it. And when he approached me with the story, what I was really fascinated by was that there were all of these layers um, to to work with. And so it's a story that's been told a lot of times because it's a remarkable story. And it has also had many iterations where there's like every step of the way, there's kind of a really unexpected but real life twist. Yeah. So it has lent itself to many versions of it. There's been a lot of media uh, at times around it. There's, there was also a made-for-TV movie that happened in the late 80s about one kind of chapter of the story. And so when I was approached with it, I, what I wanted to do was not tell the story again because there have been so many versions of it. Even if they weren't all together, one could kind of like leapfrog. Um, you know, on the internet, you could kind of piece it together yourself. But what I wanted to do was like tell tell it by using all of these different iterations and to kind of blend together factions and fiction and fantasy and reality, the voice of the families, and they had never participated before. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you as a filmmaker approach them? How do you convince them to be part of this? Because it was emotional then for them. And then to relive this, you could see it on the face of Stephen Stainer's mother and his sister and his kids and, and everybody else who's part of the family. Yeah, I mean, I really tried to, you know, and it's really how I feel, which is I, I really tried to approach them as people and to try to tell this kind of complicated and, and multi-layered story in a way that hopefully honors them as real people that this really happened to. And that, like, beyond all of these kind of ups and downs and media iterations of the story, there. And at the end of the day, this has happened to a family. And so I tried to approach them from that standpoint. And they were really wonderful. They were very willing to kind of go on this journey with me. I made it Ashley Stainer, who is Stephen's daughter, was my entry point. She's the best. Um, yeah. She, you know, I approached her as like, I kind of want to do this slightly weird thing <laughs> where it was like, a little experimental. It's not going to be totally straight. And then she was on board for that ride. And, and you know, kind of through her blessing, it was really the, the other stainers that opened up to me kind of like through her blessing. 
the way you presented this was to get a couple of the actors from the TV movie, including Corin Nemec, who was a huge star. It must have been something for you to meet him, because if you're a kid of the 80s, he was huge as a teen actor back oh, then, and played Steven Stainer in the TV movie. He was even emotional. You had him reading lines from the film. Yes. So what I had him do, what I found in, in my research and like in looking at the process of making the made-for-TV movie, I found that the screenwriter who had written it had conducted hours and hours of interviews with all the Stainer family, and, you know, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I want to interview people, and one of the people I really wish I could have interviewed was Stephen, but he's not with us any longer. And so to find these interviews was so great, but they were so badly degraded. Some of them were only on paper. They had only been transcribed. Some of them were audio. And so I had this kind of challenge where it's like, here's this amazing material, but I don't have any way to get it on screen. And so enlisting the actors to kind of come back in, and instead of reading lines that were written based on interviews with these real people and then went through many different iterations and many different drafts, instead of having them read written lines, I wanted to return them to kind of the source material of the people that they played. And... I was so grateful that they said yes, in part because I also didn't tell them what we were going to do because I wanted, you know, the emotion that Corin has on camera, like I, I suspected that that might happen and I wanted, I didn't want to give him lines that he could rehearse and get comfortable with. I wanted him to see them for the first time. And I was so grateful that these actors would do this kind of experiment with me and would allow me to do something that like kind of put them on a, on the spot but they were really wonderful because they they like are not only actors in that way they're like proxies for the people that they play who we otherwise can't access so steven stainer is kidnapped at the age of seven and he returns seven years later usually these types of stories end badly so that's kind of the first twist in this besides the fact that he also saves another uh, little kid who was also kidnapped. Yeah. Yeah, he saves another kid that um, was kidnapped, and so he's, you know, he's such a heroic person. And at such a young age, I mean, at 14 years old, he has kind of the inner strength to say, this isn't right. I mean, I think about, like, what I was doing at 14. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he has the kind of inner strength to say, I'm not going to let this happen to another kid. I also think, and Kay Stainer, Stephen's mother, says the same thing. I think it's actually where I get it from, is that, you know, she feels like in so many ways, Timmy, the young boy, is the one that saves Stephen. And I think that that's true, in that, like, had Timmy not come along, Stephen might never have done for himself what he decided to do for someone else. Interesting. Uh, And don't you think it was actually kind of haunting how calm Stephen was once he returned to his family and you see him in front of the media and, you know, he was just kind of blasé about everything? Maybe not internally, but that's the way he kind of presented himself. Yeah. Well, I think he was in a lot of shock. I think he he was um, being forced to go through something super private and um and you know he had been the he had been subjected to really bad abuse for a long time and that should have been handled in a much much more private way and instead because of the time and where we were at as a country and 
in our kind of media awareness, that is not what happened. And so he was kind of thrust into a media spotlight that, and he was a 14-year-old kid. And he, it was a homophobic time in our country, not that it's not still um, a homophobic time in our country, but it was, you know, even more so. And all of these kind of terrible, dark secrets that he probably didn't want to discuss on a wide platform are kind of open, it's an open book. And so I think it was, it must have been really brutal. Yeah, he was stigmatized in many ways. And I think I recall yeah. in the in your series that the dad did not want him to go through counseling. That's that's not what we do. And I and I think that when you think about it, this was part of the problem for his older brother, Carrie, that he needed that's help. Right. Nobody saw that he needed yeah. help, but he sure did. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, A, you can understand how a family that for seven years is looking for their little boy and is um, suffering the torment of not knowing where he is. And then he... You know, so for seven years, that's where the attention is. And then he comes back and there is all this attention then placed on his return. And then he, in the late, in 1989, he dies. And then there's all of this attention there. And you can imagine that if you were a member of that family, another child, and you were suffering from mental illness, you might not get the attention that is needed. And not because your parents are doing anything wrong, but just because there isn't extra attention to go around. And I think that's you know, very much the case. Yeah, a telling a telling moment that you show in in one of the uh, archive videos where Stephen is talking to the media and the family is around. Stephen's getting all this attention again, and, and as far as his brother's concerned, and Carrie is in the background, and you just see Carrie leave. He just yeah. looked. He just looked yeah. like I, I've had enough of him getting all this attention. Yeah, and that's so. I mean, and the moment that you're referring to is one of the very first moments. So it's of of Stephen's return. So you can imagine if that's where it starts, you know, where does it end up? Yeah. And, you know, we'll tell you right now that it's a spoiler alert. If you have not seen this yet, then don't listen <laughs> for the next minute or two for what I'm about to say. But Carrie ends up working as a handyman at... Uh, a hotel at Yosemite Park, and ends up being charged basically as a serial killer for the murders of, of four females. Yes. First for three that all happen at one time, uh, three murders that happen in one night, um, and then a fourth very different murder that happened five or so months later. You know, it's just incredible to, to watch mom, Kay Stainer, and, and all the other people in the family. They had been through so much by the time we get to to the end of this story. I just hope that they're all going to be okay going forward because you talk about a family that has gone through just unbelievable tragedy for several years in their lives. And boy, you sure did uh, such a great job of putting it all together in this docuseries called Captive Audience. It's Jessica Dimmick's uh, docuseries now streaming on Hulu. You gotta check it out. It is so good. Jessica, thanks so much for joining me and talking about it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And by the way, the original TV movie ends before the serial killing began. Make sure you check out this docu-series, Captive Audience. You know, I'm not a huge fan of true crime, but this was really engaging. Well, that does it for this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. 
I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 